so we're glad to have you guys back with us for another episode. This is the entree episode. And today what I decided to do was um, as we start looking forward down the road to where the podcast is going to be headed, there's so many things we want to get to. And so what I thought would be most helpful for those of you who are maybe new on this journey back into the Old Testament um, or maybe you need some refreshers because you've been on the on the journey for a long time, is I thought I would ask uh, each of the guys here. I have Fred. Yo. Kevin. Hey, hey. Hey, and Dave, and we're all here. And um, I thought I would ask each of us to just bring one story from the Old Testament that has impacted the way you understand Jesus as Messiah. So... Um, instead of taking the New Testament and looking back at the Old Testament, today we're going to take the Old Testament and look forward into the New Testament. And I'm not going to do all the talking. We're going to allow everybody else to kind of share their story. So I'm going to let whoever of you wants to go first. Are we flipping to a coin, go Fred? First. You want to flip a coin? Flip. flip. Who? What is it? Heads. Okay. <laughs> did you have heads or did I have heads? I don't know if I had heads or not. I, um, think, I think I had tails. Okay. Well, I can go first. <laughs> okay. So I think it was when Dave and Stephanie started having folks over for Friday night for mealtime yeah. and then teaching. And you were doing the uh, portion connections or the portion, uh, the portion, Parsha. And Dave was uh, unpacking the story of Joseph. And he started talking about Joseph in um, different terminology. I mean, not different terminology, but he was unpacking it. And the way he was teaching it, it was like a light bulb moment, I guess is what I would say. So the light bulb started flashing. It's like, I see what he's getting at. I see what he's getting at. And I think you were talking about like, not just the story specifically, but like what the rabbis traditionally taught or understood about that story. And that's when the light bulb started going off. Like, this is a type of Messiah or a, like a foreshadow of mm -hmm. Jesus and his life. So that was the, the aha moment, like, okay, there's something else going on. And as you were teaching, I could see where you're going. And I actually was like almost interrupting you and you kept looking no, at- No, I don't believe that. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> I was totally interrupting you. I knew you. you were gonna say that. That's what you're saying Yeah, back then. Dude, I was like, I'm like, I knew- yeah, we do that all the time. I'm like, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you're. I knew where you're going. So we have so, a we have a fun relationship. So um, it was one of those things where I'm like, this is this is amazing. It's like the revelation of Messiah in the front of the book, the front of the Bible. That was kind of, I guess, that story. So break some of that down for me. Yeah, I, I will do that. I will okay. do that. Yeah. So, but that story and that revelation was kind of the beginning of the wait a second moment. Like, how come I've never been taught this? And that's what, you know, that's, and then years and years later, here we are, whole Testament, but it was that story of Joseph at your house. And Well, I love what you just said, that statement, how come I've never been taught this? Because that is exactly right. what started my journey was I heard that, I heard a teaching, which I'll talk about later. And I was just like, how come I've never been taught this? Right, right. Because it all of a sudden takes something that is insignificant, old, outdated, not necessary, right? And it used that to bring to take my understanding of Jesus to a whole nother level, right? Right. Yeah. And now what's crazy? And I was talking to my wife Julie about this. Just we were talking about this like maybe two days ago. Mm -hmm. It's like I can't even open. I was reading through Ephesians, and there's like one phrase in Ephesians, and I'm like. I know what that's about. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, it's like, there's like this almost like electric, electricity goes through your body. Like that's pointing all the way back to like Leviticus or something. And you're going, yeah. that is amazing. And the contextual scope of that is just, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. It's like you, it's like you're relearning your faith all over again. Yeah. And the connections. So anyway, the story of Joseph, um, there's so many, there's so many um, markers, I guess, that point to Messiah. I guess I would call them markers. Yeah, yeah. Um, like uh, the fact that he's sold by his brothers. Mm -hmm. So we, we know that Jesus is sold by his brother, betrayed by his brothers. 
Israel. Um, Israel, like the Jews. Like yep. the Jews. Yep. To the Romans. To the Romans. And um, so Joseph is sold into captivity and goes down to Egypt. We all, Which they, uh, just a side note, yeah, they, go, I go, think go. they say that the um, they were Ishmaelites, which he was sold to, which Remus and Romulus, who started Rome, are can trace their lineage back to... Are you kidding? Ishmael and the union of Ishmael and Esau. Let's go. I don't know if that's true or not. I haven't actually traced the lineage of Remus and Romulus, but that's pretty. That's what I've been told. Probably not true. That's interesting, though. It's a good story. Though. It is a good story. So it's a good story. Yeah. So, uh, so Joseph is betrayed by his own kin, mm-hmm. Israel, um, sold into slavery. Uh, he is humbled. He's uh, imprisoned. Uh, all, all that, all that language, metaphorically speaking, of Jesus as you know being humbled, mm-hmm. uh, beaten, betrayed, all the stuff, um, and then he is exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Coincidence. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting too is I, I did not catch this, but um, uh, they were preaching about Joseph a couple weeks ago in church. They were talking about the the cupbearer and the baker, mm-hmm. the bread and the wine. Mm-hmm. And the bread and the wine was like the open door for his elevation to where mm. he was supposed to be. And I, I haven't heard that. They were well, no, they weren't even preaching on that. I was thinking <laughs> that in my mind. All right. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like elbowing yeah. Julie. I'm like bread and wine. Yeah. There it is again. So anyway, it was really cool. Um, so then he's betrayed, and well, then, even well, I'm gonna no, yeah, go, go. Started, I got a few like before that. He's like, so he's the favorite son of the father. And here's one that we tend to miss because of translations. It says they gave him a coat of many colors, right. but in that Hebrew, the language is actually could be translated as a seamless garment. Really? Which Jesus wore yes. the seamless garment, so they cast lots for it because they didn't want to tear it. Correct. Yeah. yeah. It's so amazing. there's even more, just yeah. some more connections. That's good. I didn't even think about those. So. Um, so then he's elevated to the right hand of the Gentile nation. Um, and then once his brothers come, they don't recognize him. Right. But then he reveals himself to his brethren. And then in that whole exchange, he actually redeems back his own people and they come down to, uh, Egypt and they prosper greatly in the land of Goshen and that's what sets up the story of the Exodus several generations later. So that's like the 10,000 foot flyby, but oh, I'm yeah, sure there's, there's like, so many, oh, yeah. there's so, there's so, so many. much stuff there's, there. It's um, crazy. There's actually a uh, a rabbi that was talking. I don't have the exact reference because, again, it's been how many years since we, we I haven't studied it since. It's been 12 years probably. Oh, at least. Since I, we, I went over this. But yeah. there's a rabbi in like pre- Pre-Jesus, so like 200 BC or something. Okay. That in his writing says that, um, so the Torah says that Joseph, they put Joseph in the pit. Yes. It was empty. Without water. There was no water in it. And they say, so why does he say both? Right. Because they want you to know there wasn't any water in it, but there were also no snakes, scorpions, or spiders that would de- decay his flesh right. while he was in there. Nice. And so the rabbi says that way his body was preserved while he was in the pit, which wow. is what Jesus says. But then he says, yeah. and he was in there for three days. Yes. Joseph, so this rabbi who has no intent of, it's pre-Jesus, saying how long was Joseph in the well? He was in there for three Three days. days. So like Jesus was in the tomb, preserved from, his body was not destroyed for three days. So there's just like so many connections. Well, and even as you're talking, I'm thinking of the connection that David says. He says, you will not let your Holy One see decay. That's it, that's Which is in the Psalms. So there, see? Yeah. I knew where you're going. Yeah. (laughs) It's too funny. It's so good though, you guys. And this is where, I think this is where we get excited. And it's, I always, I describe it this way. It's like, um, you're trying to describe a square circle for people. And you say, okay, well, square circle is, it just doesn't even make sense. It doesn't seem Mm -hmm. logical at the Mm -hmm. time. 
But when, when I went on this journey and I started studying, especially the feasts, and we'll get into that at you know at different point, and we'll probably. Or I think we're going to talk about one. We're going to. Fred and I both are bringing a feast. So to you're the doing table. a feast, okay? Yeah. yeah be, we'll just bring overviews. We'll bring bringing a feast to the table. Yeah. yeah there ooh. you go. Ooh, I love it. No, but it's it um, our entree. Ooh. So when you, um, for me, that was like the moment. It was like I got a special secret key, and I went into the Bible and I unlocked the Bible, and now it was like there was more. I don't want to use the word revelation, you know, over, I think sometimes that word gets thrown around a lot, mm-hmm. but it was kind of that opening of some doors to mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. the text, mm-hmm. understand the culture of the Jewish people. Then all of a sudden I'm looking at Jesus and the disciples and the book of Acts and all of the writings all different. Yeah. a little bit differently. So if if you've never been on that journey uh, through the feasts, definitely stay with us because it's... It's very eye-opening. It unlocks the Bible for you, hundred percent. Yeah, totally does. So, what, was that all right? Was it? We that was did okay? great. Yeah, right. it was good. Um, one thing that is also just of note on the Joseph thing is that I don't know if it's in the rabbis or the Dead Sea Scrolls, but when they talk about the Messiah, they use two names. You point at me. Let you. Yeah. It's your story. You tell. No, me. no. Grab, here, I'm you know grab, what I was going to say. Say your, it. I'm going to grab your finger. Don't do that. So, Don't so what it. they? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things. No. Uh, so by the time I think is it by the time we get to the second temple period, there was an understanding that there might be two messianic figures. So mm-hmm. there's the. I'll say it in Hebrew: Moshiach ben Yosef and Moshiach ben David mm-hmm. or David. So you have the Messiah, son of Joseph, the Messiah, son of David. Yeah. So even in their thinking, they, and and I think in, I don't, you have to correct me on this, but I think in some of the literature, they think it's two Messiahs. One will come this, this way, one will come that way. And Joseph would be like the suffering servant mm-hmm. that we talk about in uh, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, mm-hmm. but then you also have this conquering Messiah that will come on Jerusalem, set up the kingdom, rule with an iron scepter kind of figure, and surprise, surprise, Jesus is actually both. Right. Yeah. He first comes as the suffering servant, then he will show up, uh, and that's the return of the Lord, and that's what we look forward to, Maranatha, mm-hmm. come Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. So. That's why some of them, some of Israel had missed it, even when Jesus came, because he, they weren't expecting Messiah ben Yosef. They were right. expecting Messiah ben David. Right. And that's why they've got him coming in on the donkey saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Right. Right? Because that's what they're hoping. Right. Um, although that passage in Isaiah says, humble, riding on a donkey. Humble and meek, yeah. yeah. So, and then what's- Where's that, Jeremiah? Uh, I don't I don't, know. I, is it Zechariah? I, it's, it's a prophet. It's uh, Malachi. No, it's not Malachi. Song of Solomon. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> there you go. Fred, those are the only two books he reads. <laughs> Malachi, because he can say, I finally made it to the end of the Old Testament. That's right. And Song of He's Solomon. An expert. For, well, yeah. He's an expert in Malachi. <laughs> it's awesome. It's no, but I think, one. well, and I also think that. <laughs> you got it. Sorry, Kevin. No, you're good. No, it's all good. It's all good. So uh, one of the uh, people that I've actually listened to a little bit off and on now has been um, International House of Prayer, Mm -hmm. Um, Mike Bickle. It's in Kansas City. And he has a document that says 150 chapters of the second return of Jesus. What's really surprising about the second return of Jesus is most of it is Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So you didn't finish your thought on the 150 document. The 150 chapters. No, that's... Oh, there are 150 chapters that prophesy the second return of the Messiah. Yeah, I probably didn't say that very well, but yeah. Yeah. So in And most of it's Old Testament. And most of that is Old Testament. Yeah, like 90-some chapters is Old Testament. because the Old Testament is all about the Messiah. I heard, heard and I know this is a little off topic, but I heard a quote that said more than half of the New Testament is really quotes and allusions to the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're not reading our Bibles correctly. Is that is what I would sur- summarize? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is why this is the whole Testament podcast. So, all right, Fred. 
So that's your transition. So and I just stole it. <laughs> I'm trying so hard not to say it. When I think so, I grew up. I said it again, and every time I say it, it's gonna. I'm gonna think of you. <laughs> Good. New transition word. Always thinking of me. So, well, well. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I I grew up. <laughs> You guys are so silly today. <laughs> it's not even me. I I grew up in going to like Christian schools, grew up in the church, all that stuff. But what was interesting was I don't feel like I started making a lot of these real connections until probably one of the times we were at your house and maybe even before that, but um like we were, we would have been at your house for a Shabbat or um, a meal on a Friday night, and Shabbat, yeah, Shabbat. <clears throat> um, Please cough louder into the mic for me. <clears throat> <clears throat> wow, he's the tech guy. I know, I'm uh, bad. I forget there's a microphone. Here. <clears throat> That's good because we're just what talking. Is this thing? That's what we're I know. trying to I, do. That's yeah, what I forget we're about to it. Do. I'll take it. We're trying, um, to, we're trying to be conversational. Exactly. The so we so started talking about like Passover, and I don't think I ever consciously drew the connection between Passover and Jesus, particularly as it. I think the the you hear the language about the lamb being mm-hmm. put out there a lot, mm-hmm. but all the like all the details about um specifically about it like um stuff like they didn't break his bones and that is referenced back like in Exodus Do you have scripture there? Yeah, like I like I w- that you so, went to that. He's <clears throat> it for you can't see but he's got his iPad and he's yeah. got his blue letter bible up. So blue use those, bible. man. I'll take yeah, it. Okay. Anytime we can so use scripture. it was I was looking at um it was in Exodus 12. Kevin doesn't even have his Bible either. So. I didn't have my Bible because my story is Genesis 37 through 50. You should have read it. I, could, I should have just read the whole yeah. thing. He doesn't have to have his because it's memorized. Yeah. So. I'm, I don't have it memorized at you all. You do quote scripture a lot. I really appreciate like in the reference. I'll just say it. I'm like the writer to the Hebrews. It says somewhere that. It says, it says right? somewhere. <laughs> you know what? That's a good point though because one of the things I really try hard to do is if I can't get the verse, I at least try to find the chapter it's mm-hmm. in because I feel like that's important for people to say, yeah. like when we're talking, it's like, well, I just, you know, I think it's this. And it's like, yeah, let's at least get a chapter. Chapter mm-hmm. and verse is hard to do, yeah. but I think a chapter is always a good guideline. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, Fred. like, so I I was reading, like, I was, I was just researching some of that stuff. And so Exodus 12, um, in in verse forty three, it starts talking about, um, uh, you know, like about the lamb. And in forty six, there's mention of, uh, well, I'll just read forty six. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. And so, like that, like this is just one example. But you know, you go to Jesus on the cross; mm-hmm. they didn't break his bones, and then. I don't have the New Testament reference, but um, you know something that maybe would have done if they were crucifying someone would they broke the other guy's break, bones? Yeah, they right. did. But coming to Jesus, seeing that he is already dead, no, right. they didn't do. They it. didn't. So, yeah. so like drawing, starting to draw those connections, mm-hmm. especially with Passover, which I think turned out for me to just be eye-opening, highly significant in looking at under, really understanding that Jesus as, as the Passover lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that was like the, the turning point mm-hmm. for, at least for me, and like really understanding what it is in the New Testament that, or excuse me, what it is in the Old Testament that points to the New Testament, the New Testament back to the Old Testament. So it's good. It's real good. And it didn't, and it's like that sort of stuff didn't occur to me until, you know, like I'm in my 30s 
and be like, well, wait, where, where was, where was this? I don't, and you know, and this isn't, like I said, this isn't a slight against like any of my teachers or anybody like that growing up. But I think it's just like, you know, I wish that I would have understood some of this more, you know, growing up so that I had be farther along. teachers or your pastors or anybody who's listening saying, oh, I never get taught any of this, or some people are on the, the more they look at the Old Testament, the more they study the connections, sometimes get angry or good, hateful a, toward the church. That's, um, a good, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, in defense of this, um, I was talking with my kids about some things, and they were like, well, how come nobody... Un- nobody gets this dad or how come people aren't paying more attention or they don't teach this. And I was like, well, look, here's the deal. Uh, we are greatly um, affected by a few thousand years of church history that has shifted things sure. significantly to where we're at a stage, I believe, that the, that it's starting to shift back toward um, the original intent of the scriptures and the original way we understand the New Testament. Because I'm not, like, when I started down this path studying this stuff, whenever I was inviting Kevin over to my house 10, 12 years ago, 15, I don't know. It was probably around 15 years ago that I actually started journeying down this path, studying Old Testament, studying Judaism trying to make sense of my New Testament, um, there was no information out there, really. It was really hard to find information. And now you can find it all over. There's all kinds of um, teachers that are teaching this kind of stuff. So for anybody that's just joining the journey, it's so much easier for you right now because there's a lot of information. You could check out this. There's this one podcast called The Whole Testament. It's a good one if you wanted to. (laughs) Wow, that's a... Is that is that that um, that quote from N.T. Wright that we did early, early on in the podcast? Like the he, intro, yeah. And he he talks about we know more today, yeah. about Second Temple, mm-hmm. the Second Temple period in Israel than we have in any time in history Forever. or something like that. Right, yeah. right. That's an important point. And so, yeah, the and information's so, out there. I was talking to my kids, so the, I told them this. I was like, basically, it's kind of like. If I, it's like me walking around saying the earth is flat because forever we've been told the earth is round. I'm not a flat earther, anybody out there. If yeah. you are, you know, whatever. I don't know. Uh, you, conspiracy theories, who knows? I haven't been, that's what I told them. I was like, is the earth flat or round? And they're like, it's, it's round. And I was like, why? And Zeke's like, because I have a globe. And so because I have a globe and right. I was like, but none of us have stood on the moon and looked back at the Earth to know. Have we I mean, on the moon? I'm sure there's science. <laughs> I'm sure there's like you know airplanes. I'm just I'm just rolling on with that. I don't I don't know if anybody's ever stood on the moon. Okay, I don't know if that's true or not. Pretty sure that spaceship at Area 51. Space is a big place. Space is a big place. I don't know. So, um, yeah, so I'm talking to him because we don't really know. Uh, We can only just go off of context clues. And so for 2,000 years, we've been told, or at least 1,500, I would say, years, we've been told how to interpret Scripture based on events in the culture that happened 1,500 years ago. For example, so for example, the first debate the church has is Acts 15, can you be a Gentile and be a follower of Jesus? 
So can you be a Gentile and be a believer in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus? 300 years later, by the time of the Council of Nicaea, the, the, con, the conclusion they come to is you cannot be Jewish and be a follower of the Messiah. So just think about the shift in 300 years. So the earliest followers of Jesus are saying, what do we do with the Gentiles? And 300 years later, they're saying, what do we do with the Jews? In order to be a follower of a Jewish Messiah, you cannot be Jewish. Quite a shift, and so what, and everything that we have, everything our, um, our, our translations, even of the scriptures. I was looking at a translation today, a, a thing in Exodus twenty four, I believe it says, and then God said, "Come up to the mountain, and I will give you the tablets with the commandments and the rules." But if you go back to the Hebrew, it doesn't say that. He says, "I will give you the ta- the commandments, and or I will give you the tablets." and the commandments, and the rules. So if it says with, then that's the the tablets that have the commandments on them. Mm -hmm. So it's a piece of stone with the commandments, but it says it's the tablets and the commandments and the rules. Then it's like, here's the the Ten Commandments and the rest of the commandments. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's like, all of the Torah, all of the rules, all of the commandments are given by God to Moses, not just 10 on the tablets. The tablets are like the preamble. Right. We right. the people, you know, this yep. is like the thesis statement and then everything that follows is what God wants from his people, but we can limit it to just 10 because because Church history has changed the way we understand the scriptures and translated that word and to with. That's translation brought about by theological stances, brought about by changes in church history that we have done very little effort to study, to go back and see what's really going on, has affected what we hear and what we're taught and how we understand things which is why we have those eye-opening moments, right? which is why we have the whole podcast, because I want to open people's eyes. I might be wrong, but, but if I, and I've said this several times, but if I can get you to go to your scriptures to prove that I'm wrong, then I'm also being successful because Correct. if you are, be, be, be serious and diligent about your faith, because if you are, you will end up at the truth. Right. So Fred, back to the Passover thing. Did, can you share anything about, um, did it change, doing the Passover meal with me, did it change anything about the way you understand communion? I've been surprised to hear how many people are not aware that the Last Supper was the Passover meal. Yeah, that was, <clears throat> I think that was part of some, of some of that discovery was like realizing that the, I mean, I mean, like, so in my tradition growing up, you know, you do communion. It's this holy thing that you do because it, you know, it you partake to clear out your sin catalog for that amount of time. Which, going back to the Passover, I think that meal holds much different relevance and significance understanding where where that all started and thinking about it in that way or thinking about it in the way that they would have been approaching it right mm-hmm. cuz up until mm-hmm. i feel like up until that the last supper that point you know passover th- there were a lot of things you had to do you know within the passover meal like all the details with you know, with the lamb and preparations for all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, Jesus is sitting there. They've, you know, they're partaking in Passover. He's sitting there saying all these significant things that would um, be like, like, I feel like if I was sitting in the room with them, it would have just been like, wait a minute. Like he is, this, this is like he is drawing these connections right now to this mm-hmm. thing that we've been doing 
for, for this 15, such a long time. Fifteen hundred years, and this at that changes point. everything. Yeah. So. And he says the phrase. So, like in my tradition, we grew up whenever we did. We did like in our tradition, it was like once a quarter or something. Four times a year, you would do communion. Yeah. Our, at the mm-hmm. church we currently attend, it's every week. But they would have a table that would they would pull out, and on the front of it, it would say, "In remembrance." Of me, or yeah, you some, had it at your yeah, place, right? Yeah. Well, right. it wasn't Jesus written on there, but me, that yeah. phrase was all that was a significant phrase in the liturgy mm-hmm. of the moment. Ours had it actually like carved into the table do this in remembrance of me, yeah, which is a phrase Jesus made at the Last Supper, which was the Passover meal, which was 1500 years old when he was sure. doing it with all this remember, remember, remember when we were slaves, remember right. God brought us out. And Jesus says, do this, not take communion, but do this, Passover, do this meal in remembrance of me. Because like you said, the next day he would give his life to become the Passover lamb whose blood would be spread. It's so powerful. Yeah. Agree. I love, I love it. Yes. And there's evidence uh, uh, is it Clement of Rome, who was oh, the disciple of Peter? I just read Clement two days ago. So Clement of Rome and Polycarp was a disciple of John. Uh-huh. These were Gentiles. Oh, this but is in Eusebius's church history. Yes, yes, but they still celebrated mm-hmm. the Passover one generation removed from the disciples, and they were Gentiles. Yeah, so this goes back to, thanks, this goes right back to that church history that we don't know about. And Eusebius's church history is a church historian about 200 years 200 probably, and he's writing about the past. And he talks about this huge church, this huge division in the church between the East, which is in Jerusalem, and the West, which is in Rome, because they called them the quadricentials or something, the 14ers. Right. Because they would break the fast, which we now call Lent. Right. The 40 day fast, they would break it for Passover. And they were like, you can't break it for Passover. You have to wait till Resurrection Sunday. Right. And there was this huge debate. And so, Polytitus, in the name of Polycarp, who was one of the famous martyrs. Right. In the church. Yeah. he's The legend is he was burned at the stake and didn't burn. So, they cut his head off. Which wow. I find is interesting that God allowed him to not burn at the stake. Yeah. But then allowed them to cut his head off. Yeah. It was just like, anyway, that's a, we don't have time for this. <laughs> it's just, it's insane. Anyway, so Polytitus is saying, me and Polycarp and these other people learned from John, from his daughters, from all these people who have gone to be with Jesus to keep Passover with the removing of yeast starting on the 14th. So in church history, we find that the disciples teaching yes. Greeks, Gentiles. Yeah. yes to keep Passover on the 14th, including removal of yeast. Right. And in fact, in the New Testament, Paul says, let us keep the fast, let's keep the Passover with the removal of yeast of malice. And so he's using the Passover to teach about like physical, a physical event to teach about spiritual things saying, let's do this, but don't just remove the yeast from your home, remove the malice from your heart as you do it. So. That's good. You know, but we the, just don't get it. We don't see it. I mean, how can you miss this stuff? There's so much. Uh, it's we crazy. So we got to save this for the feast. For the, I know, when I we know. start talking I, about I the feast, I, I went down. Um, a, I went down a but, trail. But I hope that, like anybody who's listening, that might this might be new to you. That you spend some time. Like I said before, there's so so many resources out there that, especially about Passover. You know, there's just so many resources that you could start looking into the and get ready. Is helpful. The internet. The only other, the and the other thing with Passover too is I find it interesting that Jesus says, I know I'm going there. <laughs> What's crazy for me is it's not just about the present moment. It's not just, it's an event that's past. It's in the past 1,500 years, or we're even far, farther away from that 2,000 years. 20, we're 3,500 years from the original. Right. So it's it's the most contiguous feast that's ever been performed. By any people's group. By any people group. That's correct. So it's in the past, but we have the opportunity to do it in the present. Mm-hmm. But Jesus says, I will not drink of this cup again until it finds fulfillment. So it's also, so I it's don't- It's in the future. But I don't- Yeah. But think about the implications of that. 
it's something that is so historical. It goes so far oh. back, but we but we get to partake of it in the moment. And it's also something we will do in the future. It's crazy. And when we do it at our house, I tell everybody every year, like, this is practice for when we do this with Jesus. Right. And you know what? One of the things that a lot of people will say, oh, you know, we don't have to do all those things. As Paul says, these things are a shadow of the things that are to come, right? And so they'll say, see, they were a shadow of what was to come, which was the cross. So that's in the past and it's no longer necessary. Uh, The thing is, which is, I just, if you just read the text, it says this. Paul is writing that well after, 30 to 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus, saying these things are a shadow of things to come. He does not say these things were a shadow of things to come. They are still a shadow of things to come. So that's the beauty of like, oh. <laughs> I, I, I mean, this is the whole point. This is what gets me going. This is why we're doing this because it's so powerful. It's so amazing The that what Kevin just said, 3,500 years ago, God told Moses, you're going to take a lamb. You're going to do this. All because he knew this was pointing to 1,500 years later when Jesus would be crucified. It's not a coincidence he was crucified on Passover. Right. It was intentional. It was written 1,500 years before. And now here we are 3,500 years later from the original one waiting for the fourth cup in the Passover meal. I'm going to throw that out. Nobody's going to know what it's going to mean. And that's great. Go figure it out. I know. Waiting for the fourth cup in the Passover meal to be fulfilled, right? It's like not fully complete yet. It's incredible. And you break the afikomen. It symbolizes it. All right. So here's my story. Um, (laughs) I I remember that word. Yeah, all right. Now, for those that are listening, before we even started, I told Dave, I said, (laughs) there's going to be a part two because we, I mean, these are just like primers, right? This goes into the feast stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, I told him to pick out one thing and Kevin was like, man, <laughs> how do you do that? There's like five, just straight off the top of your head, that stories in the Old Testament, things that connect, yeah. that are it's, crazy significant to how we understand who Jesus yeah. is. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so um, I will also talk about my shifting moment. I often tell people it's like The Matrix. It's probably too old of a movie. I'm not going to quote it. It's not too old. It's relevant. For some people who are relevant, like Morpheus is standing there with Neo and he's got a red and a blue pill. And he's Mm. like, you take this pill, you wake up to reality. Right. But it's going to be completely different than what you thought. And you're going to have to restart over and relearn everything you thought you knew because because you haven't had a full picture of what's going on. You take the other pill, you forget it, and you go back to sleep. You go back right? to your life. Go back as to usual. whatever. If if yeah. this is making you uncomfortable and you don't like what we're talking about and it's challenging your theology, well, you can take the red pill or the blue pill. But if you continue on, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to start seeing the scripture in a way you've never seen before, and it's going to open it up. I tell people, it's like we've been like Christianity's been living in this house, right? And we live in this house, and there's some weird shaped rooms. They're odd shaped. And we don't we don't know what to make sense of it. For example, like Paul seems to say that the law is 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 bad, and anybody that keeps the law is bad. But James says that we need to be living under the perfect law of liberty, and so it's like these contrasting they seem to be in contradiction to each other. Jesus says anybody who teaches the commandments will be considered or teaches the law and the prophets will be considered great. And then Paul says, if you're under the law, you're under a curse. What do we do with these things? They seem so it's like this house and it's got weird angles and weird shapes. But but there's a door that Christianity has never gone through before. So we're living in a house. It's nice. It's great. It suffices. It protects us. It's doing what it needs to do. But once you go through that door, it leads you down a hallway to the whole other part of the house that you never even knew you had, which is still part of the same house that you begin to see. Now you walk in this room and you see why the other room was shaped so weird. You see how Paul and James fit together because you start to put the whole thing into its context and we've just been living in the one part of the house. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I heard this teaching, probably 18 years ago on the Day of Atonement. Which is found in? It is found in Leviticus chapter 16. 
which good reference. Okay, since you said that, I've been so eighteen years ago. I was turned on to the Day of Atonement. I heard this teaching at a youth workers convention, and I was sat there and I was like, "What just happened?" This guy was talking about the Old Testament. He was talking about all this Jewish stuff that I had no idea about. Never even knew Yom Kippur mattered, at which that, is and Day that, of Atonement. And in that moment, you're thinking, this is Jewish stuff. This has nothing to do with me. I have no idea. And, then, and, by, and yeah. he's quoting rabbis, and he's using words like the Talmud and the Mishnah and the things that I have no idea what these things even are. And he, and I've grown up in church my whole life. Never heard any really any of this. And then he brings out Jesus in a way that is, he's like, the cord no longer turned white, the Mishnah says. You guys don't know what that means? It's another teaser. The cord never turned white. And I was like, oh my goodness. My, up until, up until that point, I was a youth pastor. I'm in charge of the most vulnerable, most quizzical group of people in the whole church, and I have no idea where I am with my faith. I'm just doing what I've been told. Went to college, didn't really get a degree in religion, but had to take, I took a bunch of religion classes. It was a Christian's college. Was a pastor's kid. Sat in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, my entire life. My father was an amazing pastor, so I knew my Bible very, very well. And I was sitting in my office, and I was like, either there has to be more to this or I've been brainwashed. Right. Because the people of God don't look like the scriptures. Things are happening in the scriptures that don't look like what we're doing. It seems like this is something is missing. And, and I told that to God, and then I didn't read my Bible for like six months. And it was a long journey, and there was a bunch of bad, like, theology, because at that time, there were a lot of people saying, you don't need the Bible. It's all about, you know, all roads lead to heaven, and uh, blah, 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 blah. And so, I was kind of shifting and changing, but it taught me how to co- ask the questions. And then in the asking, I found myself sitting in this sermon, hearing about the Day of Atonement, hearing about the rabbis, and all of a sudden, Jesus came to life. Right. It was like so much deeper and more meaningful and powerful. I'm about, I feel like I'm about to cry. Go for it. it was, I Dude, it's awesome. I don't cry in front of boys. <laughs> <laughs> so. Whatever. Um, it shook me. And I immediately went and emailed this guy and said, how do you know all this stuff? And he sent me a book list and it began the journey. Right. And I started reading stuff. Um, it opened my eyes to the Old Testament and took me places, crazy places. That was 18 years ago, right? 18 years ago. Um, this last week, I'm still learning mm-hmm. amazing things. So, so that's a great point. And I think people also need to understand that it's like the learning never ends. Can I say that one more time? The learning never ends. You are always discovering more of this and it's Yeah, you know, it reminds me It's a great point. I it, mean, I think that's important people understand that. We've it, not arrived. Yeah. Nobody's arrived. And it it does it reminds me of what Mary Leonard said a few episodes back in the dessert for I don't even know what it was, the eternal life one maybe. Anyway, she talked about how if she knew what it was going to entail when they moved into this neighborhood, this dangerous neighborhood, if she knew all of it, she probably wouldn't have done it, right? And if I'd have known on that day when I emailed that guy where it was going to take me, it probably would have overwhelmed me. It probably would have freaked me out. It probably would have, I probably would have just been like, nah, which maybe is. Took the pass. Maybe that's like, you know, you came over, you had the Shabbat. And, and it was so difficult and it was so foreign and it was strange that it took you, it took time. And that's the thing that's amazing about, right? 100% agree with that. I literally had that conversation in my head, in the backyard, sitting in my lawn chair, staring at my grass. It's like everything I understand is being shifted. Am I willing to take that next step? 
and it's a man that was a tough day I'm, I'm just being 100% honest I mean yeah. it was a tough day it takes it's but it's so good it's so worth it it's so difficult and it costs a lot um it changes everything. I will tell you that I'm sitting here today and I know my Bible a million times better than I did back when I was a youth pastor. And it's and it's because I had to go read it. I had to go read it because everything I knew before up to this point was like, okay, what is the what does the Bible really say about this? Because so much of what we know and we've been taught is really tradition and church history and not scripture. And so we have to know what our scripture says. And the more you get into it, the, so it takes it takes a lot of work. It's definitely worth it. And it, it can take as long as you need it to. just finish up my portion with what I've just been learning and the just how how much deeper it's so deep the scriptures are so deep I think there's a psalm that says it's like apples of gold and vessels of silver mm-hmm. and the rabbis say from a distance the silver on the bowl is like wow that is amazing. That's fancy. You see the silver and it draws your eye and it calls you in. And as you get in there, you find there's apples of gold inside. It takes that work, like it catches your eye. And then the further you go, the deeper and deeper it goes and the more valuable it becomes, right? And so we have these connect. It's anyway, it's too much. It overwhelms me. Quit laughing at me, Kevin. So, um, as I've been learning, here's the deal. Uh, I've been looking at a list. I've been reading a book by Michael Morales, Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord? A Biblical Theology of the Book of Leviticus. It's probably way over my head, okay? But it's been incredible because these guys are, they know the Bible so well. He's looking at the book of Genesis. He's talking about this thing. Okay, this may get a little nerdy. It's okay. I had to read it about a million times to figure it out. It might get a little nerdy. There's this word called, it's called chiastic structure. Okay. Um, what chiastic structure, do you know what this is? Or, or I've always not? heard it pronounced chiasm. Well, you probably, it's probably chiastic. More, you've chiastic, had. yeah. Go ahead. It's, it's from a Greek, the Greek letter X. Yes. Anyway, 100%. whatever it is, the structure it's is. It's chiastic. Is that chaos? Is that chaos um, theory? <laughs> so, whatever it is. So, there's this technical, there's this uh, literary um, device used in the ancient Near East and even all the way up to John F. Kennedy and even beyond um, that is a way of saying something that draws your attention to the phrasing. A chiasm, chiasm. Isn't it a Cairo? Isn't it? Or it's is all it a good. key? I think it's coasm. Chiasm. It doesn't matter. We're good. It's a zoom. You can find it. How is it spelled? Tell the folks how it's C-H-I-A-S-M. spelled. C H I A S M. They can go look it up. I hear I did find the definition is a literary device in which a sequence of ideas is presented and then repeated in reverse order. The result is a mirror effect as the ideas are reflected back in each passage. Each idea is connected to its reflection by a repeated word, often in a repeated form. For example, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. So country, do for you. You, do for your country. Right. Okay, so that makes sense. And if you look at it from from the X, it's the two parts of the X that are far away from each other, merge toward the middle, and then they come out right. on the other end. So if you see an X in your brain... Think about it from the the tops of the farthest apart coming together and then verging out again. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's the 
for those that are visual learners, that's what it is. There's also called like a circulating one where there's a middle point. So there should there's like five points: A, B, C, B, A. If this is all confusing, we'll have something up on the website okay. for you to look at. Yeah. Um, a, B, C, B, A. And, and so, what's, what's great about this is because it was orally transmitted, you could memorize these chiasms uh, or chiasms. So that's another reason why it was used in, in literature. So, uh, yeah. So another example, like in, out of the scriptures in John 4, it says, The hour comes and is now here when true worshipers shall worship in spirit and in truth. That's the A. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. That's B. God is spirit. That's C. And they that worship him, back to B, because it was the Father seeketh such to worship him. They that worship him is B, must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's back to A. And when you have those, so you guys can look up John 4 and and look at that. When you have those, the point of it is to point you to the center, the center. So when it says this and this says a center and then these and these, they're pointing you to the middle, God. So the point of that, of worshipers and truth is God is spirit and truth. And they that worship him must worship in spirit and truth, right? And so as I'm, I'm reading this book about the Leviticus, they're saying, okay, what we have is a fi- the Torah is five books. Yes, it's a chiasm. The whole book, the whole the Torah, Torah, as a, the whole Torah as a the unit. The Torah as a unit is a chiasm. Okay, so um, basically, it says that if you look at, um, let me see, I'm trying to find. I've got a. So this is out of the book. Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? And it's a chart, but it's not the guy Michael Morales's chart. I think this one is Moshe Klein, um, a rabbi, 2006. Um, so it says, so, so in Genesis, it's God's trying to be with his people and they keep moving away. God tries to be with his people. They keep moving away. The flood, the tower of Babel, all these things. Um, and in Deuteronomy, Moses starts with saying, you kept moving away from God and he came to you. You kept moving away from God and he came to you. You kept moving away from God and he came to you. And now he's brought you to the end of this to the journey to take you into the promised land. And he's put his presence in the middle. So in the Torah, Genesis and Deuteronomy mirror, uh, Exodus and Numbers mirror, which leaves us Leviticus, which means the most significant part is Leviticus. And then you take Leviticus. Let me just say this, because this is so ironic, because what is the book that everybody dies on? If you're doing a read through the Bible in a year, Genesis, awesome, narrative. Uh, Exodus, mostly narrative. Now we get in the tabernacle. Okay, there's some commandments. By the time most people get to their reading plan in Leviticus, it's like, I'm done. They're out. They're out. And this is the center, the center. of what God is trying to communicate in the Torah, if you take it as a but, unit of five. But, right. And you know what? Yeah. I also heard a rabbi say that there's Torah, and then all the other books, including the New Testament, are commentary on Torah. I've heard that as well. So it's fantastic. It's all about this, and we'll get into this. So this is where I want to go next. Okay. Our next, where we're going from here is is going to be okay. Everything is is laid out for us, and how we are to understand God, and how we are to relate to Him as humanity in the Torah. And so we need to understand that the center of the Torah is Leviticus, and then in the center, Leviticus is a chiasm. The chiasm. book. It, the book Chiasmus, itself. So so Leviticus itself is now a mini chiasm. So the big chiasm is pointing to the little chiasm inside of Leviticus. Yes, and it's pointing because in Leviticus 1 through 7, it's all about like how you approach God through the sacrifices and things. And then at the end of Leviticus 23 through 27 is like the festivals and sacred times. So it's sacred um, rituals. At the front and at the back. Then in the middle, you have um, the institution of the priesthood, 8 through 10. And then, so on the back end, the mirror, 21 through 22, is the legislations for the priesthood, how they are supposed to. So they mirror. Then you've got this. So this is a a seven-part, whatever that word is. Um, Leviticus 11 through 15 talks about clean and unclean in daily life. 
And so 17 through 20 talk about holy and profane in daily life. So they mirror the clean and unclean, the holy and profane are both parts, which leaves us at the center, Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. Wow. Yeah. So at the center of the center of the deepest parts of what God is trying to get is the Day of Atonement which we talked about in episode four. If you wanted to go back to episode four and listen to that, how Jesus becomes that, that final sac- that sacrifice that was missing, it's all in the Day of Atonement. And it's so amazing and powerful. And it shook my life and it shook my world. And I'm still finding out it's even more important than I thought. As much as I knew 18 years ago, which was very little, I'm learning last week. It's even more significant because God has structured it intentionally with pointers, pointing, 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 pointing all the way down to the center of the heart of it. And so what we're going to do, what the goal is now from this point forward, so that's the end of our discussion on this entree, and now it's promo. Um, The goal for the podcast is to move us into the heart. So we're going to go to the book of Leviticus, and we're going to look at the, the significance of the sacrifices, the significance of the feasts over the next probably year. I don't know. It'll take a long time. It's a lot. But it's okay. We got, we got a long time. We got the rest of our lives. It's, it's, like the guy who, it's like the guy who falls out of the airplane and his parachute doesn't open. You know what? You just don't worry about it. You have the rest of your life to fix it. (laughs) That's out of a dad joke book. My kids got me. That's so good. That's so dumb. So we're going to move into that. But before we can understand the sacrifices and before we can understand the feasts, we have to understand the tabernacle, the mishkan, the place God chooses to dwell with his people. And so we're going to start looking at that. But... In Exodus chapter 31, God is laying out the beginning. He says, I have created a holy, I have given a holy ab and Bezalel the the gifts to build the tabernacle. They're going to do all the skilled work and the people are going to devote all these things and give all these things to the holy place. And we're going to start building this tabernacle according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Exodus 31, 11. Exodus 31, 12. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So before we can talk about the Mishkan, the tabernacle, before we can talk about God's dwelling place, first, keep the Sabbath. So our next series is on the Sabbath, and after that, we will dive into the tabernacle. And I promise you guys, as hard as this may be, and as life-changing as it's going to be, and as theological shaking, it's like a theological earthquake, it's worth it. Put in the time, put in the effort, stick with us, and see how amazing our God is. Somebody want to pray us out? I'll pray. God, thank you for this group and being able to dive deeper into what you want to reveal to us through all of your scriptures. Thank you for the knowledge you've given to Dave and Kevin and how we you're using them to open this up to a new a new group of people potentially I see you would just bless the, the time that we've had here bless the words that we've spoken and anything that would bring new new knowledge to the forefront that we didn't experience before God we thank you for Jesus thank you for that sacrifice in your son's name we pray Amen mm-hmm.